Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC Sports. I'm Justin Coachella alongside Tim Hurth. It is Thursday, October 7th, and we're talking Virginia Tech, Notre Dame, under the lights in Lane Stadium. Should be a, uh, well, I don't know if it's going to be a good one, but it should be an interesting game. Um, you know, always excited to watch the Hokies in prime time, especially against a, uh, you know, a quality opponent like uh, like a Notre Dame coming to town. So we'll chat about that. We'll give you our week six picks in our doing line segment. We'll even talk a little Hokies basketball. But first off, Tim, what's going on? Oh, just watching a little playoff baseball here. You and I were talking a little bit on the show about, uh, you know, how unfortunate this one game playoff situation can be for wild card teams you know that have had years like the Dodgers where in any other division they'd probably walk away with it fairly easily but now they find themselves playing against uh Adam Wainwright who's found the fountain of youth it appears um and you know it's a one-on-one game it's knotted up now but like I told you I think this only ends in one way and that's a Pujols walk-off right yeah, I mean, who wouldn't love a pool holes walk off? And anybody who knows me knows how much I love Albert Pujols. He's uh, probably, you know, top two all time player for me. It's it's really between him and uh, him and Cal Ripken. So, um, and I mean, you know, I was a Pujols fan, and then I moved to Chicago, and I like the Cubs. So it's kind of weird, but you know, he hasn't been a, a Cardinal now for well over, or I guess it's been what ten, eleven years. So. Um, weird seeing him in Dodger blue, but I just get excited when, uh, when I get to see him play. You know what I love about Dodgers games though? What's It's just the people behind home plate that you get to see. <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I think, I don't know cause I haven't seen a close up, but I think Lori Laughlin is sitting front row right now. Yeah, I mean, she, she certainly may be. Which is, you That's know, true. I thought she was still in prison for the admission scandal, but Maybe she's out now. I don't know. But if it's not her, it looks like somebody just like her. And then you got the the guy. I, I don't know where I know him from, but he's got these, like, black spectacle glasses on. And he's got this, like, shaved head and this, like, white beard. I just, I, I don't know what he what he's done. But he's, I've seen him in things. He's always at these games. And then you just see all these other kind of people. And you're like, hmm, okay. It's, it's L.A. baseball. They get there in, like, the third inning. And then they're talking, you know, over their shoulder the entire game. So it's always oh, it's yeah. always fun to watch. Total social event uh, for those people, but you know I can't blame them. I mean, if you're going to do it, baseball is a great sport to to have that kind of uh, I don't know t- type of event and, and type of a social situation where you're able to talk and relax while the game's going on. It's good for that, but um, you know, there's nothing better. Playoff baseball is just great, and you know I got the Braves going. At the Milwaukee Brewers tomorrow, and it should uh, be a good series. You know, it should be uh, the Braves. I think are the far more balanced team, but Milwaukee probably has the best uh, starting pitching staff in baseball. So yeah, it should be fun. And um, you know, the Braves made a pretty miraculous turnaround to get where they are now. And at this point, as far as I'm concerned, everything you know is gravy. I'm just happy to have a fourth straight division title. And, uh, you know, if we make some noise in the playoffs, great. If not, uh, it, it's, you know, we're way better than I thought we would be at this point in the season. You know, the Braves remind me a lot of the Packers. They're really good at winning division titles. Oh, yeah. Don't have much in the, uh, don't have much in the jewelry department <laughs> after that, unfortunately. So, it, it, you know, it, for the Braves, they finally won some playoff series last year. So, 
look, we'll, we'll take whatever we can get, man. It's um, you know, it's a well-known fact that the Braves are very good at winning their division and not so much good at winning anything else. Well, Tim, I don't know if you've uh, been keeping up. I, you know, somebody who's not winning is Urban Meyer right now. Um, wow, what a what a dumpster fire for him, right? Train wreck. And I I bring oh. it up because he. Uh, I never understood him as a fit in the NFL. Um, you know, you, we we mentioned his, you know, it's like playing Alabama comment every week, and it's like, well, yeah, dude, this is the NFL. What did, what did you think you were getting into, yeah, man? This is pro sports. Everybody is really, really good at their job. Um, <laughs> God. And so he, he opted to, uh, you know, stay behind, didn't even fly back with the team. And this is this is the head coach, and kind of caught got caught on camera with um, you know maybe some uh, questionable behavior there. But besides that, you know, it made me realize, like, or made me think, you know, college coaches a lot of times they're kind of like the governor of your state, right? Yeah. And then oh, yeah. some of those governors they may get the opportunity to run for president one day, but then, which in this scenario would be an NFL head coaching position. But then when the lights start shining on him and you start kind of really kind of looking under the under the uh, under the covers, you start to really realize that, you know, this this governor, he's he's a little nuts. He's a little crazy. Yeah. He's not really yeah. cut out to to be a leader of the free world and or, you know, an NFL or professional football team. And I think I think that's what's happening here with uh with Urban Meyer. And I mean, honestly, like, I don't, everybody was speculating about the USC job. Is he going to get back in college football? I don't, I don't know if you can touch him right now. You know, he's, he's kind of toxic-y, but I could be wrong. Well, I mean, you know, Hugh Freeze is going to move on after this year if I was a betting man. Oh, yeah. That would open up the head coaching yeah. position at Liberty. Uh, Liberty's like Rehab the, your image yeah. school. It's the it's the go and, and get, you know, revamped school right now. But I mean, obviously what Urban has done in my opinion is not really to the same extent of to what Hugh Freeze was uh no, accused of doing. Close. But you know, questionable nowhere behavior. Close. Either way. Yeah, questionable behavior and everybody seems shocked and you know, I'm I'm not necessarily sure why. Uh, you know, Urban obviously the dynamic in a locker room full of twenty to thirty year olds is a lot different than 18, 19, and 20-year-olds like he's used to. And NFL GMs and owners, you know, I don't know. It, it, it's such a different game. I, I, I don't know why they take these risks on certain college coaches, um, you know, when there's such a huge pool to draw from that's used to that NFL environment and that NFL culture. So um, this is working out about like I think most thought it would to this point. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel bad for the rookies, especially a guy like Trevor Lawrence that is having to go through this. And you know, really, oh, I yeah. think uh, I think the Jags have a pretty good ownership group, so it's not like you know they have a disengaged owner or anything. But it was just kind of no, a, a swing and a miss on the hire. So you know, the thing that I found odd about the entire thing is like he's wearing a Ohio State pullover, like a fleece, and it's like <laughs> if you're Urban Meyer, like do you? Do you go out wearing Ohio State garb? Did he want I mean, to be I seen? I guess you do. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe. Yeah, maybe you do. You're maybe in Ohio for the good old days. You're in Cincinnati. I think he was at his own establishment. 
<laughs> and you're wearing your Ohio State pullover, like, what are you? What are you saying? I don't know. Yeah, it's just weird. Yeah, it's like wearing, uh, you know, it's like maybe a girlfriend wearing their ex boyfriend's uh, sweatshirt or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that that's where we're at right now with Urban Meyer, and you know, like you said, the collateral damage is done to Trevor Lawrence because. Let this not just let let the bad behavior not distract you from the fact that he's a, he's been a miserable football coach uh, to this point, and the results on the field have been just as awful as the results in the bar. So, um, yeah, setting the bar even lower, Urban Meyer. Yeah, probably the worst decision he's made thus far is cutting Tim Tebow, but we'll uh, we won't dwell on that. Let's uh, let's look at Hokies basketball for a second here, Tim. So. Big uh, big time recruit Rodney Rice, six foot four, hundred and ninety pounder from Dematha. Uh, obviously, that Mike Jones connection is uh, is paying dividends before even taking the court. But you know, Rice is a uh, obviously the premier piece right now to the twenty two class, which is shaping up very nicely. He's the fifty two player nationally. He's actually you know he was being recruited by Buzz Williams back in nineteen. He's been recruited by Mike Young for the last two years, so it's it's good to see things like that pay off for the program, uh, especially a program like Virginia Tech, where you know he chose Virginia Tech over Louisville, and then on top of it, he's the third highest rated recruit ever for the Hokies, behind Dorian Finney-Smith, who never actually showed up, and then Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Yeah, man, what a huge get uh, for Mike Young and. When he came, you know, I think there was trepidation and worry about Mike Young and his ability to recruit. But if, if you hearken back to what he did when he got here, he basically surrounded himself by nothing but uh, or with nothing but dynamic, good assistant coaches that could recruit the heck out of these guys. And again, you mentioned that DeMatha connection paying off early with the recent hire from DeMatha. And DeMatha, a, a pretty renowned basketball program and one that, given its proximity to the university, really makes sense to try and make inroads and so you love to see a commitment from DeMatha and and when you talk about Rice the player uh, obviously anybody in the if you equate it the top 300 in basketball or the top 100 in basketball is like the top 300 in football recruiting that's kind of the elite tier uh, if you will of of recruits and so him sitting in the 50s is you know that's a huge pull for for Virginia Tech and when you look at the type of player he is uh, not a guy that's going to blow you away with athleticism, but a really good shooter and a guy that really can create shots driving to the hole um, with either hand. And, and that's going to be huge, getting some guys that can penetrate and score, hit the fadeaways. And, and that's the guy you're, kind of guy you're getting in, in Rice. Um, step, stepping back and taking a look at the program as it sits right now, we're just in a great spot. I mean, Mike Young is an absolute treasure. Uh, he runs an offensive system that is amazing to watch i am a i was already a big fan of the three-pointer and now i just can't get enough of it and coming into this season obviously won't make this a basketball preview but i will leave it with you know the one through five on the starting lineup can all hit three-pointers consistently and that is going to make for fun basketball to watch so thinking about the kind of guys mike young has already recruited the kind of guys he's bringing in it's clear he knows who he wants to play in his system, what he wants to do, what the identity is going to be on the court, and I could not be happier to have Frank Beamer and sneakers on the sideline. Yeah, I got to tell you, like if you're Orville Redenbacher right now, you've got to be going through like a brand 
crisis because you're like, do we drop <laughs> Orville and go to Mike Young? Because that's yeah, he's he's really the face of popcorn right now. If we're being honest with ourselves, yes. But I gotta tell you, I cannot wait for Hokies basketball to take the court. So I'm I'm super excited. Not me either. Um, just really love what what Mike Young is doing with the program. And uh, honestly, I feel like right now it's our it's our best shot of winning a national championship. I mean, it's it's so hard to win a national championship in basketball. So, you know, it's there's a little bit of luck in there. It's it's a full fledged playoff system. You know, there's so much good talent across the college basketball landscape, and these mid majors are are really good sometimes, and they play really well as a team. But you know, I think that's how young builds the program as team first and finding guys that fit his system so I think you know if you look at his days at Wofford and some of the the teams that he built there I think Virginia Tech is set up really nicely to compete at a very high level when it comes to uh when it comes time for for March Madness to roll around so the other thing that kind of uh you know entered my mind was you know I watched some of these videos of Storm Murphy and yeah. If he were on another ACC team, we would absolutely hate his guts. 100%. And I couldn't be happier that he's wearing Bruggen and Orange. He's he's one of those guys, man, like you said, that we would hate. But what the I, team that he played for would absolutely love. What I love about it, though, is we've I feel like we've never had that player. We've never had a Greg Paulus, right? We've never had a, um, you know, what's his face? A Grievous Vasquez. Yeah, Grievous Vasquez. Good one. <laughs> Good pull. Um, what's the kid's name? Grayson. Um, the dude. Grayson Allen. Yeah, Grayson Allen. You know, we we've Flops never McGee. had a guy like that. That you know, uh, another fan base can just identify and and pull out and hate. Um, but Storm Murphy's going to be that guy for us, and I'm pretty stoked about it. So I'm just yeah, I'm me, glad we finally too. have that kind of kind and, of uh, person. All that aside. The player is is just going to add. Oh yeah, something so incredible to this team, which is a point guard that can shoot the eyes out of the ball. Um, no disrespect to Abisabidi, but that was not his forte. Um, so you're bringing in a guy that is going to add a dynamic that the team sorely lacked last year. Seems like a leader. Obviously, he's got the character and the swagger that you want from a guy leading the team. Confidence, um, and he's been through it all, man. He. He, he knows he's been here. This is not his first rodeo. Um, so ACC basketball is not going to be too big for him. Um, and the fact that Mike Young called him a little rat in a press conference this week just makes me, <laughs> makes me like Mike Young so much. I don't know what to do. Yeah, Mike Young's uh, analogy game is on fire. So he uh, <laughs> really, really just a joy and a uh, very different, different vibe from a different type of coach. But... Um, let's go around the ACC. Let's jump back to football here. So week uh, week five in the ACC, you know Virginia sneaks by Miami on the road, thirty twenty eight. Miami was without Derek King. They were without Jake Garcia, who was one of their backups, four star backups who played quite a bit against Central Connecticut. So they went with Tyler Van Dyke, who played okay at times. They had a chance to win the game. Miami did, but their kicker blocks yeah. it left. UVA survives, keeps them alive really in the ACC Coastal. Still have two losses, but a third loss right there really would have hurt. Um, you know, I thought Miami would try to run the ball a little bit more, and they, they ended up having success. You know, Cameron uh, Harris had 14 carries for uh, 114. Um, but 
you know, they, they seem to kind of rely on the pass more. I think Van Dyke was like something like 15 to 29, so not super efficient. Um, not, a, not a super flashy performance from Armstrong. You know, he was 25 for 44 for 268, but UVA survives. They move on in front of the lowest or least attended Miami home crowd since November of 2012. 37,269 in attendance. And I would have guessed about 20,000 less than that. And physically, it was more like 20,000, if not less. I mean, that was not 30,000, 37,000 people. Now, it may be 37,000 tickets sold, which is usually how teams count this, um, you know, based on what corporations have, you know, a block of 10 seats for clients, those kind of things. That was not 37,000 people. And, you know, the Miami program is spiraling right now uh you know it cameron harris hell of a game but only 14 carries um you know miami should have leaned into the run a little bit more uh you know but it does not hurt my heart at all to see miami in the dire straits that they're in um and virginia obviously overshadowed by all this virginia's defense is still very bad um and and that's going to continue to be a problem for the cavaliers but um yeah, uh, a Miami team that is not at all what I expected coming into the season. Speaking of very bad, Clemson's offense, uh, which Woof. happens to survive against Boston College, 19-13. to 13. You know, I think Boston College is going to be one of those teams that they're in every game. doesn't matter who the opponent is going to be. They seem to kind of play up to the level of the opponent. They're going to be undermatched on offense as long as Dennis Grosello is back there at quarterback. But... They were in it to the end. They had a really terrible no-call go against them, which, uh, you know, if you watch the game, you know what I'm talking about, where the Clemson player was just running offsides, and then they snapped the ball and somehow wasn't called offsides when he's in front of the defensive linemen who are in a a um, three-point stance, and he's just running through the trenches. It, it just unbelievable that play wasn't called or that penalty wasn't called, which could yeah. have led to, to three points, which would have been three critical points at the time for BC. And Jeff Halfley, uh, you know, was uh, was not too pleased about it. And let me just say, too, I'm pretty jealous of BC fans right now with Jeff Halfley. I think Jeff Halfley yeah. is a very oh, good okay. coach. So they've got a they've got a really good coach. They're very they're a very well coached team. Um, Clemson, on the other hand, you know, four field goals, one touchdown, no passing touchdowns once again, just an anemic offense right now. So Clemson is going to be really week by week. Let's see who they play. I still think they can maybe figure it out, but they, they look like they may have a, have a quarterback issue. It's just time to say it. Yeah, on the stat screen I'm looking at right now, uh, they abbreviate DJ's name, and, and they just have a little circle with D-U on it. Um, and when you look at the stats, they read more like P-U because you look at the completion percentage around 50%. Um, but what really stands out on DJ's 158 yards a game to this point in the season is what he's averaging. And that is sh- so shockingly bad in this era of college football. Um you know, you've seen some plays that he's made where, you know, it's very few, about five plays where he's made, and you're like, yeah, that guy is so talented, it's ridiculous. But then you see the body of work, and at this point you're wondering, is it ever going to click, at least this year? And and I'm not so sure. You know, going into this game, I thought BC was going to be the, the game where he gets comfortable. 
and he's anything but comfortable to this point. So keeping an eye on the Tigers is going to be going to be interesting. I uh, predicted earlier in the season, or I mentioned in our preview podcast, that I wouldn't be surprised to see Clemson lose two ACC games, and I'm feeling more and more confident uh, in my saying that as we continue to see how poorly the quarterback is playing. Wake holds off Louisville 37-34, got a Nick Skiba field goal with 22 seconds left to give Wake the win. Uh, but Louisville, they were down 10 entering the fourth, got some late heroics by Cunningham to tie the game, and you know they did have a couple of uh, lost fumbles in this game, but for the most part, you know Louisville looks like a team that's going to be able to to withstand a few punches and and compete at a pretty high level. I think it's a game where you look at uh, them against the Clemson, which you know makes you kind of wonder if they can score a certain amount of points. I feel like if you can score twenty points on Clemson, you have a seventy five percent chance or more of winning the game because that's how bad their offense is right now. So uh, the Atlantic, to me, is in pretty good shape. I mean, Wake, NC State, they seem to be the two teams at the top. And then you've got, like, a Louisville. You've still got Clemson, who's got a really strong defense. I mean, that's four pretty okay teams in the ACC to where, you know, any of those teams could win or lose on any given day. Don't get me wrong, but... Um, I feel like that's probably the strongest division in the conference. Yeah, uh, with, without question. Um, to me, it's clearly the strongest division. And, uh, you know, you've got those top-tier teams, um, at least top-tier in regards to uh, that side of the conference. And, you know, Wake, NC State, BC still looks pretty good. Obviously, it'd be a different story if BC was a little more balanced. Um, but that side of the conference, yeah, I mean, definitely is the stronger side. And, and this was a heck of a game. You know, Malik Cunningham is such a stud, and he's one of those guys that's just a perfect college quarterback, can really make plays where none exist um, and pull big plays out of his hat. And, you know, in college, that's just so invaluable, kind of in the way Derek King works and what Derek King's strengths are as far as translating to the college game. Malik Cunningham has a lot of that going on, too, uh, but just not enough to get it done against Wake Forest and Nick Skiba again. Um, I think he's 10 for 10 on the year for kicks. I don't know how Wake Forest does it, but they always seem to have a good kicker and punter. Um, I don't know. Maybe they have a lab and test tubes where they're just uh, cloning those guys like the Irish did with Dolly. But at this point, um, it's, it's fascinating to me that they're able to do you know the kicking game as well as they do. But again, well-coached. You know, good quarterback play. The system's going to work. And Wake's got just as good a chance as anybody to walk away with uh, the division crown. What's fascinating to me is Dave Roberts would pull Max Scherzer at four and a third and put in Joe Kelly. I mean, he's got Joe Madden-worthy pitching management skills in playoff games. But uh, I digress. NC State, 34. Louisiana Tech, 27. Uh, not a dominant performance, but enough to get the job done. Kind of what we expected, Tim. Am I right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly what I expected. Um, they weren't necessarily sleepwalking. I think Louisiana Tech is a much better team than people give credit for, which is part of the reason why I thought this would be difficult. Uh, Austin Kendall, a good quarterback, former uh, Mountaineer, uh, played really, really well, and you can see why he's so important to their game plan in regards to extending drives in the pocket um, and making good throws downfield. If you're NC State, uh, the defense, I thought, played well. Um, I think they had the top-rated uh, defensive line play by Pro F Football Focus, um, 
in that game, and, and they generated a ton of pressure uh, against that Louisiana Tech offensive line. So nothing to read into too much, I think, in regards to NC State. This was always going to be a game that you just wanted to let's win and get out of here type thing. Um, and that's basically what we saw. Again, it's it's kind of a hard thing to go from Clemson conference game to, okay, now you're talking about a group of five uh, out of conference game the week after. Um, and it's actually kind of a blessing, I think, because if NC State had a Wake Forest or a Boston College, this would have been a, a much tougher game. But uh, NC State gets the job done and uh, continues marching on. Yeah, looking at the rest of the ACC, nothing to really dwell on here. Florida State got their first win over Syracuse, uh, 33-30. Uh, Syracuse uh, did end up covering in that one. Um, Garrett Schrader, their quarterback, their kind of new quarterback, the transfer from Mississippi State had 150-plus yards and three touchdowns rushing. UNC dominated Duke 38-7, and then Pitt uh, really just destroyed Georgia Tech and brought them down to earth. The question I have for you, Tim, is Kenny Pickett the best quarterback in the ACC right now? I mean, I think you have to say yes, right? Um, there are others that are close. I think Hartman, uh, you can make a case for Hartman and what he does for Wake Forest. But right now, I mean, Kenny Pickett is just playing at a level that I did not think was cap- he was capable of. And, you know, yeah. Kenny Pickett, a guy that I, I feel like I've ridden on this podcast for four straight years. Um yeah, don't really don't listen to 2018 episodes of our opinions of Kenny Pickett because they're not going <laughs> to age well. To be fair, but different quarterback right now, yeah. and he's going from a guy that I thought would hold Pitt back to being the buoy that's having them rise to the surface, um, and and that to me is is pretty surprising. But either way, he's getting the job done in a tremendous way uh, for Pitt. All right, so the ACC shaping up. Uh, Virginia Tech is still really yet to get into uh, to conference play. Obviously, you know, week one, the win over UNC, an important win. Um, but after this Notre Dame game, they will have eight straight weeks of ACC football, and that is when the chaos is really going to start for the Hokies, and it's really kind of up to them, right? They control their own destiny, but... Um, big game this week before they jump into it, and they jump in with Pitt, which I personally think is a horrific matchup for Virginia Tech um, with the way that those two teams are playing. But looking at Virginia Tech and Notre Dame, Tim. So these two first met back in 2016. Uh, game I was at. A lot of fun. Hokies came back from a 24-7 deficit to win 34-31 in South Bend. That was a 4-7 and Notre Dame team. That's how they ended up. Um, which is crazy to think about, right? With all the success yeah. Brian Kelly has had, Deshaun Kaiser on that football team, who was a good college quarterback, he's been a disaster in the NFL. But four and seven, um, yeah, I mean that's crazy. So the last two meetings Notre Dame has taken, you know, there was a forty-five twenty-three drumming in Blacksburg in eighteen. Irish were ranked sixth. Hokies ranked twenty-fourth. Those were under the lights at Lane Stadium. That was an embarrassing loss for the Hokies. And then a 21-20 final in 19 when Ian Book led an 18-play drive and scored the go-ahead touchdown with just over 20 seconds left to hold off Virginia Tech to win by a point. A game in which Hendon Hooker, who was playing at an extremely high level at the time, was hurt. And Quincy Patterson got his first start. And I think there was maybe like six or seven plays that were being run on offense. So... Uh, That was an interesting game, but this year, 
2021. If you like high-powered offense, if you like points, if you like, you know, very little defense, then I'd probably find a different game to watch at uh, at 7.30 Eastern on Saturday night because uh, Notre Dame heads into Blacksburg. They're coming off their first loss of a season to a very good Cincinnati team. But the Irish have a myriad of offensive issues, not unlike the Hokies. So let me take you through some of the numbers, Tim. So Virginia Tech is 105th in the SBF in the FBS in yards per play. It's 5.02. Notre Dame ranks 101st at 5.1. The Hokies have the 100th ranked passing offense. The Irish rank a little bit better, mostly because of how they performed against Florida State and late against, um, against Wisconsin. However, when you look at their rushing numbers, Notre Dame ranks 127th nationally in yards per carry, 124th in rushing yards per game, and 126th in sacks allowed. So their offensive line, which is full of four stars and five stars, is absolute garbage right now. And whether it's a Jack Cohn problem at quarterback or, you know, whatever the issue may be, you know, I think Brian Kelly's been critical of of Cohn and saying that not all these sacks are on the offensive line. You still rank 126th whether it's on the quarterback or not. Like, even if your quarterback's taking sacks, you should never rank 126 if you're a Notre Dame offensive line. So No way. It feels like Notre Dame is kind of at a turning point right now in their season. Um, they've had some... They, they've had a pretty tough road up to this point, right? They played Purdue, which is a run-of-the-mill Big Ten team. Uh, they beat Wisconsin, who... Turns out isn't very good this year. We thought they would be. And they lost to Cincinnati, who right now is like a top five, top ten football team. So what I see in Notre Dame is they're a scrappy football team. They're not very good offensively. They are good defensively. And for the most part, they can come through and win games, except for last week. But it looks like they're going through a quarterback controversy. They played three against Cincinnati although really only two are going to be competing for actual quarterback reps with Cone and uh, Drew Pine. They've got a guy like Tyler Buckner who, you know, we may see him packaged up like a Blumrick or like a Garrett Green if you think back to when Tech played West Virginia to where he may have a run package that is kind of sprinkled throughout the game. But it seems like for whatever reason Jack Cone has fallen out of favor, probably because he can't move out of the pocket with that disaster of an offensive line. And so they've got this freshman in Drew Pine who he did put together a couple of nice scoring drives for the Irish against Cincinnati. But you also have to kind of take that with a grain of salt when this is a freshman, there's next to no film on the guy. So, you know, there's always that kind of surprise element that you're dealing with. So that's kind of my like initial assessment, Tim, of Notre Dame. What uh what kind of stands out to you? Just the confusion. I mean, I think you hit on it. It's unbelievable to think that with a Notre Dame coached offensive line, you're seeing numbers 
that are so bad that they jump off the off the page um, in the running game. And the other side of it too is they've got a proven stud, at least I think a stud in running back, a Kyron Williams, and they're not able to do anything on the ground. Uh, you know, they couple it with mediocre at best quarterback play, and this is a team that if you're looking at on paper going into the matchup and, and you know, you're on the maroon and orange side, you're feeling pretty good about it. Um, there's nothing that should scare you about this Notre Dame offense. Um, and while the defense is good, uh, you know, you can only put so much lipstick on a pig. And I'm just surprised at this point that this is where we find ourselves talking about this matchup. Yeah, no, it's really interesting because, you know, we looked at Notre Dame coming into the season and, you know, we pointed this out, relatively a lot of new faces on this offensive line, but Notre Dame has been an offensive line factory for the NFL, right? Yeah. Um, we didn't know what Jack Cohn was going to be. Very different quarterback than Ian Book. Um, I don't know if Ian Book kind of hid some of the offensive line issues last year that maybe we're seeing now, or if any of that was carried over, or what it may be, but... Either way, very different style quarterback. Maybe you can say Drew Pine is like Ian Book. He kind of reminds me, just in the very little that I saw of him last week against Cincinnati, of like a poor man's version of Sam Howell. Much right. smaller. I think he's like 5'10". You know, he can move. He is mobile. Um, doesn't seem to have a super strong arm. So there's nothing really about Drew Pine that scares me other than his ability to move out of the pocket and... That's really the only thing. It's just like a limited amount of film that would kind of keep me on my heels if I'm Virginia Tech's defense. And, you know, if you look at Virginia Tech defensively, it's how did they beat North Carolina, right? They pressured. Right. They got pressure with a defensive line and Amari Barno. There really wasn't that much blitzing. Amari Barno, you know, played his tail off. And that defensive front pretty much dominated the offensive line. There wasn't a ton of blitzes coming, you know, from all different directions. And what happened in the secondary was the secondary was fairly locked down. They played man coverage pretty much all night long. And other than a couple of bubble screens, uh, there was nothing in the pass game. And what they did offensively to kind of aid this defense performance was they were really good out of the gate. But after that, it was all about ball control, running the football, controlling the clock. And I don't think it's going to be a very different game plan against Notre Dame. Now, the issue is, on the flip side, when you look at Notre Dame's defense, they're, they're very good defensively. Um, and I'll talk about that in a, in a second here. But really what Virginia Tech's identity has become now, Tim, is it, it's kind of a throwback to when we were in school a little bit. You know, they're going to win football games with good defense, good special teams, and hope that the offense can do enough to keep them in football games. And it's kind of in a, a weird position to be in, right? Because this is an offensive coaching staff, you know, so it, it shouldn't feel that way. But with where the offense is at right now, that's just kind of how I'm kind of looking at Virginia Tech because I think the the defense is good enough to win any uh, win against any opponent that Virginia Tech plays for the rest of the year. No doubt in my mind. I think our special teams outside of the kicker is very good. Okay, we've been 
very good at kick returns. We've been borderline elite at punt returns. Our, our punter and Peter Moore has been very solid. You know, John Parker Romo has been a different story, but for the most part, defense and special teams is, is carrying this football team right now, and it's not really rocket science. Virginia Tech is going to have to have an offense to where you're not going to blow anybody out of the water. you got to protect the football, which I think they can do, but you've got to be able to figure out how to move the football on the ground and if not on the ground, through the air in kind of like short yardage situation. So, I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at right now with Virginia Tech. I mean, would you kind of agree with that assessment with the UNC kind of comparison and what they need to do to win to beat Notre Dame? Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. Um, I think it's spot on. You know, it's just we've seen such a departure from that UNC game and even on defense we've seen a departure in both play style and especially when it comes to the rush um, in personnel we, we've seen a huge difference and so hopefully going back on film and being able to analyze uh, how we were successful the ways we were successful um, is going to be absolutely key and you know you're coming off of a bye week into this game against a team that on film just looks anemic and I would hope, given the athleticism on that side of the ball and some of the some of the successes we've had, um, again, I mean, the defense has been consistent all year. They've been good all year. That they haven't quite been great outside of that first game. Um, but th- this is a chance where, like I said, it, you know, coming in, you have got to like your chances going into this one. Add in the extra week long of prep. And yeah, I, I think you're spot on. I think the recipe for success and the recipe on how to beat Notre Dame is already there in the film room. So a few things to watch for before we jump into the keys for the game. So Michael Mayer, Notre Dame's star tight end, probably their best offensive player right now, to be honest. Um, Absolutely. With some talented offensive pieces. You know, you mentioned Kyron Williams, Chris Tyree's another guy, recruit Virginia Tech lost. It's very explosive. So it's not like those guys can't beat you. So... Uh, but Michael Mayer, not practicing this week. Sounds like he is going to be a game-time decision. He was pushing through injury against Cincinnati late, and they finally took him out. I thought he was going to hurt himself if they didn't get him out of there. Uh, but they finally did. So if he can't go, it's a huge loss to Virginia, or, uh, to Notre Dame's offense. Uh, the other thing I'm looking for is Amari Barno. You know, He was basically absent from the box score after the North Carolina game for two and a half games. We didn't see him in the box score against Middle Tennessee or uh, West Virginia. And then finally, he did something towards the back half of the Richmond game. But he's really going to be the X factor for the Hokies. I fully suspect that we're going to see him playing that quarterback spy role if a guy like Drew Pine is back there in quarterback and being sent on a blitz here and there where needed. But we're really going to need a performance from Amari Barno on that defense. And then Silas Zanzi. So... Uh, there's been some issues with the Virginia Tech offensive line, shuffling guys around. There's been inconsistent play. Uh, if they get Silas Zanzi back, it should help stabilize that group a little bit more, and they're going to need it because Notre Dame's rush defense and just defense overall is is pretty solid. Uh, but it sounds like he's going to return, not based off of what Fuente is saying this week, kind of just based off of how he had mentioned previously that he didn't think he'd be out very long. Uh, but... You know, I think uh, I think uh, Silas Anzi coming back is is uh, you know a big plus for this Virginia Tech offense. So 
Some keys to the game, Tim. I've got blitz with the question mark, right? You right. know, Virginia Tech, they... What's good about what Justin Hamilton is doing, I really do feel like this is a throwback Bud Foster kind of defense, right? It's not a replica, but it's very close to what we saw, you know, 10, 20 years ago. And what Hamilton is doing is he's he's giving different looks week by week. It's not the same look defense across every opponent. So, and I think that's good. I think it keeps the defense guessing. Where Notre Dame's offensive line has really struggled is it picking up the blitz. They've been absolutely dominated in every matchup. They've been unable to identify it. They can't keep pressure off of the quarterback. So I would imagine Justin Hamilton is going to try and expose that early. And if he has success, he's going to do it often. Um, Like I said, he's been pretty disciplined in picking his spots. It's not like he's blitzing every single play. Uh, He likes to leave his guys out there in man coverage. Notre Dame doesn't have elite wide receivers. Their biggest threat is Michael Mayer. And whether or not he goes or not, he's going to be banged up. So... We'll kind of see how that works. But the one thing Pine can do that Cone can't is move. So going back to that Barno thing with the spy, I think that's kind of the key when you're blitzing is to not lose track of the quarterback, whether it's Pine or whether or not, you know, Buckner gets in into some kind of run package there. Right. Right. So the next thing I have here, stop the run. You know, Notre Dame has really struggled to move the football on the ground. But we've mentioned the talent they have in the backfield in Williams and Tyree. So those guys can explode at any time. West Virginia had struggled to move the ball on the ground. You know, their offensive line was struggling coming into the game. And, you know, they got out to a 14-0 lead right away. Uh, Letty Brown had a 80-yard touchdown run to the house on, what, the first or second play of the game, right? So, right. You know, I do worry about that. Virginia Tech's defense has been pretty solid this year. It's been uh, below average against the run, I'd say. You know, they're yeah. averaging about 4.9, 4.09 yards per rush against, so that's 79th nationally. Uh, it's a big improvement from what it was last year, but you mix that in with how bad Notre Dame has been, and, you know, it should be less than that per rush, but... This group is explosive, so I don't think Virginia Tech can afford an explosive play or two and get off to the start they did against the West Virginia against Notre Dame because of how good Notre Dame's defense is. And this is where my main concern, as I'm sure as you mentioned, it's one of your concerns. Um, depth is an issue on the defensive line. Notre Dame, even though they've had rough going on the uh, you know on the running and the offensive line as far as opening up holes all that you can throw it out the window Notre Dame's going to come out and try to take advantage of the I don't want to call it suspect but if there is a weak link on that defense it's the rush defense and there's a, a lack of depth on the defensive line Notre Dame I expect to come out and try to capitalize on that lack of depth by continuing to run trying to grind the ball have long drives and this is one area where I could see a potential chink in the armor being exposed because, as we've mentioned, there is talent on that offensive side of the ball and in that backfield. 
And yes, they've had terrible results this point in the year, but you know that potential is there. And it, it, it may be a case where they're one, you know, one or two tweaks away on the offensive line from opening things up, but you know what the game can game plan is going to be. You know how they're going to attack. And for the Hokies, it's just going to be, you know, a siege on the defensive line. And how long can we hold out? Um, can the offense sustain enough drives to keep the defense off the field, which is going to be key, which leads into this point. Um, and I think that's going to be the focal point for the off, you know, for the Notre Dame offense. And given what we know about them, given what we know about play style, this is throw the stats books out the window. I'm, I'm still concerned, even though to this point their run game has been putrid, that because of a lack on uh, of depth in the defensive line and a defensive line that already doesn't do a uh, an elite job of stopping the run, may run into some issues here. So my third and final key to the game is protect the football. So it's something that the Hokies have done a nice job of. You know, Braxton Burmeister's not turning the football over, um, and they can't afford to do that in this game. Really not a single time, especially if it leads to points. So it's highly unlikely they're going to be able to rush the ball with any kind of success. I mean... They haven't. Notre Dame hasn't allowed 100 yards rushing in their last three games. Purdue, Wisconsin, Cincinnati. You know they've got a top five NFL pick at safety in Kyle Hamilton. They've got a super high caliber corner in Cam Hart. So that kind of takes away half the field from a passing standpoint. And if you're gonna take advantage of Notre Dame, it's to that other half of the field on the deep ball, which is something that Virginia Tech, or really I should say Braxton Burmeister, has been unwilling to to go for he's been conservative uh he's been i don't i don't know what it is if it's banged up or what it is but he's he's not anxious about throwing the ball down the field it's just not happening for him so whether or not virginia tech tries to work in some plays that are designed for throws down the field away from a heart away from a kyle hamilton that remains to be seen but what we haven't seen this year is there's no reason to expect to see any kind of success down the field against Notre Dame because we just haven't seen it against anybody else. Now, I'm not saying it can't happen, but there's no reason we should expect it to happen. So in order for Virginia Tech to do anything offensively, it'd be great if they could find success in the run game. I don't know if they're going to find it with a Jalen Holston or Raheem Blackshear, if they've got a package in for, for Blumrick or if they decide to Take the take the training wheels off of uh, Burmeister and and let him kind of run wild. They've got to figure out a way to move the football, sustain drives, keep the defense off the field. They don't have to score every time. You know, there's not going to be a lot of points scored in this game, but they've got to be able to control the clock, take advantage of the possessions they do have, and get some points on the board. And so, I really want to see. Burmeister, open it up. And if he does end up turning it over, if he's taking shots downfield, you know what? I'll take it. You know, At the end of the day, this football game, it, it doesn't really prevent Virginia Tech from achieving their goals. Yes, it would be a great win. Yes, it's a win against Notre Dame. Yes, you know, every Virginia Tech fan wants Virginia Tech to win. But I also want Virginia Tech to go out guns blazing and not losing the game 
because they were way too conservative on the offensive side of the football and didn't do anything to try and move the ball down the field. And that's kind of my biggest concern with the offense right now, especially going up against a defense of this caliber. Yeah, and I think you've already seen Justin Fuente kind of setting up a scenario in which both teams go out and try to do the same thing, which is a ground-and-pound, conservative, um, you know, try-not-to-do-too-much-play-within-yourself type game where both teams try to control the clock and may the best man win. When you talk about Fuente's quotes in the presser being, you know, every yard is going to be completely hard-fought for both teams in this game, you already feel like maybe there's some excuses being set up there. But I'm with you. I would love to see us come out guns blazing and make a statement and then, you know, show everybody that, yeah, we, we had a bye week and we were able to tweak some things. And this is what we feel like this passing game is capable. And we want to start, you know, the game strong, go downfield, attack from the jump. But based on historical precedent, I just don't think that we're going to see that. Um, I really don't. Uh, I, I think we're going to see a Virginia Tech team that's going to try to do exactly what Notre Dame is going to do in, in kind of a conservative running the ball, controlling the clock type of offense that we've already seen out of the Hokies this year. I think you made a good point there on your last point as far as limiting turnovers. The last thing you want to do against Notre Dame in an offense that's struggling is give them a short field and let them get the ball across the goal line and gain a little bit of confidence. Um, but, yeah, I'm uh, – It'll tell me a lot based on our attitude and kind of our mentality coming out on how really how confident are we in this offense? And was all that talk about the passing game preseason complete smoke? Was it complete BS? Or, you know, were the coaches being serious when they said they're extremely comfortable with the passing game? Because if they are, um, it's time to see it at this point. Yeah. Uh, And yeah. I'm I'm ready, man. I'm just talking about it. I know you mentioned that this game doesn't impact our goals, and, and true, it doesn't. Um, but but it's deserved a or not, Notre Dame is yeah. a 14th ranked team coming into your house in a place where you've uh, struggled over the past six, seven years. Um, you already made one statement beating UNC, and it'd be nice to make another statement uh, and, and take Notre Dame's scalp when they come in. Yeah, it'd be really nice to see Virginia Tech this year to take care of business at home, which... You know, as they get into conference play, it's going to be absolutely critical to winning the Coastal and competing for that ACC championship. But I really hope, you know, we see guys like Turner and Robinson get a get a shot to, to make a play because they've proven if you put the ball in their vicinity, they're going to go up and more than likely they're going to catch it. And I mean, the receivers are playing at a very high level right now. They just haven't gotten the opportunity so uh, I hope there is is some way to get them more involved in the game that isn't running laterally across the line of scrimmage um, that's more down the field and uh, kind of big play potential but let's move into our uh, betting line segment and we'll start with this game Tim so Virginia Tech Notre Dame the Hokies are a half point favorite both teams are even on the money line at minus 110 and the over under right now is 46.5 so which way are you leaning i am leaning uh in notre dame to (laughs) to cover the minute spread there i do think notre dame is going to come in and get the victory uh for most of the reasons that i said and, and and the main one being i am concerned about our depth on the defensive front And when you talk about a a true stress test, it doesn't necessarily always have to do with talent. 
uh, but more so in mentality and style of play at times. And I think this is a, regardless of stats, this is going to be a test for them up front. And I, I do think that depth is just going to be a little bit too much uh, for Virginia Tech to handle. This feels like a 17 to 20 type ball game uh, for the Hokies. Um, but to me, I just I have I have a weird feeling in the pit of my stomach that that defensive front's going to be a problem and that the offense is going to look just as disjointed as ever. Uh, but I certainly hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to lean Notre Dame as well. I just don't, uh, in my heart of hearts, trust Virginia Tech to win this game. Um, they definitely can. Don't get me wrong. Oh, they, and, and not only that, they should, in my opinion, yeah. win this game. If you're just looking at it on paper. Um, but if you're really digging in and looking at recent trends and um, some issues that could pop up and one team certainly has been playing at a higher level in the recent future than the other. Um, you know, I think all that leads into my pick, but not only can Virginia tech win, they should win. in in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at Notre Dame, you had that really close game against Florida state, Florida state just got their first win last week. They're one in four. They barely squeaked by Toledo at home. Then they, you know, they beat Purdue they have a big win over Wisconsin, and then, you know, they they play they pretty much lay an egg against Cincinnati. So, they're a tough team to figure out. I think they're a little more battle tested than Virginia Tech. They have a scrappiness about them, which I think will pay off in this kind of game. Um, but it's it's a coin flip. Like I, the only thing I would bet on for this game is uh, the over under because I don't think it's going to go north of forty six point five. Um, I've got a 13 to 12 score prediction. Uh, the 12 is not four field goals. It's a touchdown safety and one field goal for Virginia Tech. And, uh, you know, Notre Dame gets the 13. So we'll see. Uh, obviously, I hope I'm wrong there, but um, that's just kind of the way I'm leaning right now. I, th- I do think it'll be a close game. Um, but I just need to see Virginia Tech prove it to me twice that they can go in and perform at a level capable enough on offense to beat a defense that they should struggle against if that makes any sense right right and maybe prove it in a game that's not the first game of the year um that that would go a long way i think in in predicting these games maybe in the future but um yeah, it's, it's a tough one. And as you said, it is as coin flip as coin flip can be. And then if they come out and move the ball at will against Notre Dame's defense, I'm going to be more confused than ever and really <laughs> have no idea what to expect from this team for the rest of the year. So, 100%. Uh, let's move on to the next game here. Georgia Tech at Duke. Uh, Georgia Tech's a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Who you got? I, I have Georgia Tech in this one. Um, you know, I, I think they'll certainly uh, – come out on top in the game and in the spread being where it is is if you said it was four and a half right now right four and a half yeah yeah i i certainly expect them to uh to beat the spread um or to cover the spread in this case and, and take home the victory uh by more than a touchdown so that makes this pick pretty easy i just i still can't get to the point where i'm comfortable trusting duke to do anything um and you know at times this year uh duke has just looked completely lost um, you know, if, if you go back and remember, obviously the big one is the Charlotte loss. Um, they didn't look great at, you know, against North Carolina A&T for the first half of that game. 
Um, you know, obviously they, they did okay against Kansas, but so is everyone else. And then last week, obviously against North Carolina in a game that I thought they'd be much better in, they got completely uh, destroyed. Yeah. So I just, I don't see it in Duke right now. And, you know, what Magic Cutcliffe had at one point, I think is all spent up. And uh, Georgia Tech, you know, recently hit, hit a little bit of a rough patch there. But I do, they've shown me enough this year that tells me they should be able to dispatch Duke fairly easily. Yeah, Georgia Tech's just a big bag of mystery week to week. I mean, you can open yeah. it up and, you know, you can get a team that's just moving the ball at will on offense. They've got an okay defense. They got, you know, destroyed last week against uh, Pitt, allowed 52 points. But um, I think GT has too much on offense for Duke. Uh, I, I do love Matteo Durant. Um, I think he's a, a Sunday uh, caliber type of player at the running back position. But outside of him, Duke just doesn't have a whole lot going on. Uh, they're playing on discipline. There's been a lot of penalties. Um, they're just a mess. And I think four and a half points is uh, just uh, too few. So I'm definitely taking Georgia Tech here. UVA at Louisville. Louisville is a two and a half point favorite. Who you got? So this one wasn't quite as easy. Um, obviously is looking back at the Duke pick that one to me, there are certain picks that feel like layups. There are other ones that can be a little bit, uh, hairier, I guess. Um, and when you talk about this one, uh, Malik Cunningham to me is, is kind of the, the ace in the hole. Uh, I, I think the point spread is still maybe a little lower than it should be for the matchup. I think Virginia's defense has led me to believe they're going to struggle in stopping Malik Cunningham. Um, I think there there are more athletes on the Louisville side, and uh, you know Louisville to me is one of those teams that is another one of those mysteries. As are a lot of teams in the ACC. I think Louisville at times really plays up to its competition, even if it doesn't get wins. And then other times Louisville just seems like uh, they're not in the game from the jump. But I don't expect that in this game. Add to the fact that it is going to be in Louisville. I think I'm going to take uh, Louisville to cover that spread. Um, at two and a half at least as I see it, and I don't know what you have there. Yeah, I mean, I think they've uh, they've proven to be much better over the last three weeks. So For sure. They were kind of the the bag of mystery uh, that's now been passed on to Georgia Tech, but I, I've seen enough out of Louisville now to trust them a little bit more. I still right. always kind of like in the back of my mind think they can just turn the ball over six times during a football game and, you know, it'll make you look like a fool, but... I haven't been able to pinpoint UVA either over the last three weeks. I've taken UVA a couple of times, and I bet against them, and I keep losing. So uh, this week I'm going Louisville. I think uh, they're the better team top to bottom. Gave way coup. I think it's the best team in the ACC. A little bit of a scare, even though they were down for most of that game. They, they got back in it at the end. UVA is coming off a win against Miami, but barely against their backup quarterback. I think points are going to be scored here. I think both quarterbacks have pretty good days, but I think Louisville wins by, let's call it three points. So I like it. I like that right. two and a half to cover. And, and two defenses that have, have been sketchy at best. Yeah. Um, and, and you consider, like you said, the offensive matchup, there will be points scored here. I don't know what the over, well, I just, I can see it here. The over-under set at 70 points right now. Mm. Um, wow. That's high, okay. that's uh, but you, you may need to still take the over in this ball game because there are problems on the defensive side of the ball uh, on both teams here. And uh, 
with two quarterbacks that can really take advantage of weak defenses? Uh, Wake Forest at Syracuse. Wake is a five and a half point favorite. So this one to me feels a little easier um, than the last one, much like the first pick. I'm going Wake Forest here to cover the spread. I think six points for me. Obviously, we were talking pre-show, and I said that felt a little tight. Um, you know, I would think that Wake, with the way they're playing, would be favored just a little bit more. Um, but 5-0 and Wake rolling into the Carrier Dome. I guess, as you mentioned, maybe there is something to do with the Carrier Dome and how strange it is to go play there. Yeah. It being a road game far from North Carolina, um, I don't think any of this is going to matter, but maybe it does to Vegas. Uh, you know, when I look at this matchup, obviously I see a, a Syracuse team that, by and large, when they've played uh, teams with pulses, has struggled to put a, a large amount of points on the board, and that's nothing new if you've been paying attention to Syracuse football the past two years. Um, and, and then you look at the other side of the token, which is Wake, and they have, you know, quite the opposite uh, problem on offense, where they just seemingly score at will. And you know, we talk about the scheme all the time. Um, but it, it just it hangs true. Even a decent defense like Syracuse uh, can crumble and really struggle trying to stop Wake Forest's uh, read option game. And that's going to be out in full force. I expect Wake to win by two touchdowns. So for me, calling the, the spread cover here is quite easy. Yeah, I think Syracuse is going to beat somebody we're not expecting this year. Um, watching them play football a little bit, they're... Their defense is very good. You know, yep. they went down and they lost to Florida State, who's been a dumpster fire. I get it. Um, I'm not expecting Syracuse to do much of anything on the road uh, in conference play, but five and a half points. This actually opened at six and a half, so it's it's gone down a little bit. Um, Wake has expectations now. I think, you know, Syracuse has found a little bit of a run game. Uh, with Garrett Schrader and Sean Tucker. Tucker is, has been a very solid running back for them. Schrader is a guy who he really can't do much through the air, um, but he's been okay. Uh, he's been much better than what DeVito was, but he's been pretty dynamic on the ground. And Syracuse is now a team that is trying to control the clock on the offensive side of the bowl and sustain drives, really kind of slow the game down a little bit and win with defense. So I do think this game is going to be closer than we'll expect. But I do want to give Wake the edge uh, and say they win by at least a touchdown. Um, I didn't feel good about my my Wake pick last week against Louisville with the 6.5. Like, I almost immediately regretted it. It just felt like too many points against Louisville because of their offense. And it's the opposite here where I don't think Syracuse is going to be able to keep up with them offensively. But my question is more how much can the Syracuse defense slow down the Wake offense? So that kind of remains to be seen. I think this could be like an under-the-radar upset alert. But at the end of the day, Wake pulls it out. So I'm picking Wake, just to clarify. Yeah. Five and a half. Yeah, no, I, obviously, obviously I like the pick. I think it's the right one. Uh, Florida State at North Carolina. UNC is a 17-and-a-half-point favorite. How are you leaning? I am actually leaning Florida State to beat the spread in this game. Um, Norvell knows how to make life life difficult for North Carolina. If you remember last year, uh, they were one of the teams that 
had North Carolina's number in the regular season, and that was also a bad Florida State team, um, much like this Florida State team is also a bad Florida State team. But they've got the blueprint on what they need to slow down uh, that air raid offense on UNC's side. And UNC coming into the game, as everybody knows, with an offense that is uh, at least has looked in, in games with against de- defenses that are decent, uh, like it has much less firepower. And if you look at you know who got drafted and where they got drafted, clearly the talent level is much lower on UNC's offensive side of the ball. But a lot of my pick has to do with the fact that Florida State was able to handle them and all that talent last year um, on a similarly bad D- team. And we roll into this year, and you have to think similar coaching staff, if not the same coaching staff on both sides of the football, are now playing again. One team's kind of in a similar boat. The other team is, is I think, uh, not quite up to the standard it was at last year. And I think North Carolina will win, but I expect them to win by maybe two touchdowns, maybe 10 points. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and take Florida State to uh, beat that spread. Yeah, I mean, this is a tough one for me. I don't, I really don't know. 17 and a half points feels like a lot for Carolina, but it's also definitely something they can do and win by much more, especially against a team like Florida State. Um, I think I'm going to go North Carolina. Um, my gut's just telling me to go Carolina. I don't trust Florida State. Yes, they got their first win against Syracuse, but at the end of the day, I just can't I can't put any more faith in the Florida State until I see more kind of sustained success from that program. And you know, I think Sam Howell, you know, it's it's just gonna be a rough day for Florida State fans in general. Watching the guy that spurned you, uh, destroy you, handing your fifth loss in six tries. So I'm gonna lean UNC, I think they uh, pour it on late. Maybe this game is close in the first half, but I think eventually UNC pulls away. And when they pull away, they can pull away quickly. So I think that's kind of where that 17.5 number is coming from. Who um, Who is your wild card pick of the week, Tim? So I'm going down to the SEC and hopping on the lane train. Uh, we have Arkansas at Old Miss. Okay. Arkansas obviously uh, didn't cover themselves in glory against UGA, but by and large this year has looked like a really good team uh, outside of that game. Um, but the one thing obviously Ole Miss has going for it is I think a, a pretty good quarterback uh, in Lane Kiffin who obviously knows his way around some offensive football. Right now, they're they're fourth in the NCAAs in, in total yards, and that's heavily tilted toward passing. Um, but they are a balanced team where they're rushing and passing for a lot of yards. Uh, so I just think this is going to be tough for a very good uh, Arkansas defense to keep them bottled up. Um, you know, Arkansas, they played good teams this year, but this is arguably, if not the best, uh, one of the top two best offenses they will play all year. And, you know, that was such a hard loss to take. I mean, Arkansas, a team that has been down in the dumps in recent history, um, it's certainly not uh, your, your Houston nut offensive or Arkansas Razorbacks, uh, but they've come back. You know, under Pittman, they've looked really good. And I just think that, that was too much of a blow. Uh, you know, that was an emotional game. And to come out in the way that they did and lose the way they did, I think they're going to have a hangover from that game. And going up against a team like Ole Miss after that kind of game just seems like kind of a tough spot and not exactly the the team you want to see on the other side of the line of scrimmage here. So even though Arkansas won last year, um, 
I think Ole Miss's offense is just far and away better than they were last year. And to me, I don't think enough people are talking about Ole Miss at this point and how good they are. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and have Ole Miss cover that six-point spread. So it's six points. Yep, so six points. Ole Miss, uh, minus six. Ole Miss favorites. Yep. Yeah, Matt Carell. I mean, he uh, probably going to be a top top five pick in the NFL draft. So uh, legit, legit quarterback there in Oxford. And um, you know, disappointing loss last week, but. Uh, is what it is. I don't think anybody's going to hold an Alabama loss against you. I am going down to the Cotton Bowl, the Red River, Oklahoma, Texas. I'm going to go horns up for this one. Texas is a three-and-a-half-point oh. dog. And the reason I think Texas wins this game is their running back, Bijan Robinson. Dude's an absolute stud. Yes. He's stud. having a big year. 652 yards, seven touchdowns. Oklahoma, you look at them on paper, they're allowing 83 rushing yards per game. You're thinking, oh, okay, well, why would you do that? The only team they've really played that has like a legit running back is West Virginia, which was Letty Brown. But that West Virginia offensive line isn't very good. The, the quality of offensive line at Texas is much better. I like Texas. I think they win the game outright. Spencer Radler, never been a huge fan of him. I don't think he's very good. And I think they're going to lose the football game. So I'm going to go Texas to take down Oklahoma. In Dallas, Steve Sarkeesian goes to 5-1. and one. And this is just one of those games, the Red River rivalry, that I just watch it every single year, regardless of how bad or good both those teams are. It's sort of like an Army-Navy type rivalry um, where you just kind of stop everything you're doing, at least I do, to watch it just because the pageantry. Um, I don't know if they're still playing it in the Cotton Bowl, um, but at least in years past, it's always cool to see that stadium 50% uh, burnt orange and 50% uh, scarlet. Um, I feel like it's so all I'm excited to watch AT&T it. Stadium these days, but yeah, it probably is. That's why I kind of uh, hedged with that because I don't know if they've moved AT&T or not. I can't remember uh, last year what it looked like, obviously without fans, and then you know the year before, I'm not sure where they were. But you know, my best memories of the Red River rivalry obviously come from the Cotton Bowl. Um, I just love all the cutaways, way, like big text during the game and the Texas State Fair. Oh, yeah. You know, it brings brings you back great memories. It, which, if you've never been to the Texas State Fair, I fully urge you to make the trip. It's fantastic. You can almost taste that Whataburger uh, just sitting there watching it. Oh um, man, God! Don't bring up Whataburger <laughs> to me right now. I won't. I know that's a soft spot. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to look. And I, I almost picked that one just because I, I know I'm going to be watching that game, but. Uh, Went with my gut, which was to uh, hop aboard the lane train. But either way, good pick. And just for the record, I do agree with you. Um, and it would bring me a lot of joy to see Spencer Rattler lose that game. Yeah, and then, you know, I just want to do a, a check-in to where we're currently at. So I think... Um, we don't have to... I think we're running out of time, actually, Jeff. And I think we're up on a... <laughs> I think... Up on the deadline here. Week five results. I was six and two. You were three and five. So that takes us to an overall season record of uh, myself at 26 and 15. That's Justin Coachola at it's Coachola on Twitter. And Tim Hearth, that's at Timmy Jim on Twitter, at a uh, abysmal 16 and 25. Yeah. So it's, it's been, been rough, rough and we're pretty aligned this week. The, uh, the only difference we have is the Florida State-UNC game and uh, our wild card game. So, you know, 
Well, not gonna gain here, much here's where I stand on that. I'm not competing with you right now. My goal right. okay. is to put my blinders on and to get back to 500. If I can get back to 500, I'll, I'll set my sights to you. But right now, I'm just trying to dig myself out of this massive crater that I found myself in. Yeah. Well, if you're not competing with me, it's probably a smart strategy because you're not going to win. So. <laughs> Touche, man. Touche. But yeah, that's uh, that's our show for today. Uh, you know, it's going to be a good weekend. You know, thanks for listening. We appreciate you, Tim. Why don't you uh, tell these fine fine folks what they can do for us? Before I get to that, I just wanted to do one. What I think is probably a correction because I've been thinking about it since we've been talking. I I mentioned that I thought Wake Forest was cloning kickers and punters. And I referenced Dolly, who I believe was the first animal to be cloned. Um, and I said the Irish did it, but that didn't sound right. And I think it was the Scottish, I want to say. So Scotland, congratulations on cloning the sheep. I hope it was you. Did you bring this Dolly, up on today's? Yes, well, I did I, during our, our Wake Forest uh, segment. I that. I did not pick up on yeah. any of that commentary, but okay. Yeah. But I'm stuffing this at the end, so uh, hopefully people listen to the point where uh, you know they get to this correction and they won't leave us terrible reviews for uh, misnaming you know famous sheep. But that's where I'm at right now. Just wanted to toss out that probable correction. Uh, but what you can do for us is leave us reviews, good reviews, not negative reviews because of our lack of ability to recall the names of sheep and other various animals. Leave us reviews like, hey, you like our insight and you like listen to us banter back and forth on a weekly basis. And we'd appreciate it. Five like stars are best. Yeah, I mean, you could make money on this podcast if you only listen to Justin, and that may be the strategy. As a matter of fact, you could get creative and just do the inverse of what I do, and that might be just as helpful. So for all of these things that we give you, we just ask that you give us a review. Five stars would be great. Uh, leave us some comments. Keep interacting with us on Twitter. I know Justin and I love manning the Twitter handle on Saturdays because you guys make that a whole lot of fun. And just keep listening, man. We appreciate it. And it certainly uh, gives us something fun to do midweek. Well, appreciate it once again. Go Hokies, beat the Irish, and we'll talk to you guys next week.